God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis in chapter 27? That's where we're going to be today. And as you know, we'll also show those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about how God can use imperfect people. That is, God can use people that aren't perfect. You know, many people today don't answer the calling that God has for their life simply because they think God could never use them. They have too many problems. Surely God is looking for someone holier than they are and someone with less baggage in life. It's easy to look around you and wonder how God could use you in a calling. Even looking around at your own family can make you question how God could ever use you. You see, the people that you know the best, and they know you the best, and they know all your faults. And you make, it makes you wonder, how can you serve God in a calling? Because you've got all these problems, and your family and other people surely know about all those problems. Well, then there's yourself, too, as well. You know all your own failures, don't you? Even some that the other people don't know. The times you've fallen far short of what a man of God is or what a woman of God should be. And the devil is always willing and he's always there to be there to point out every one of your faults and failures in life. In fact, even the Bible itself calls him the accuser of the brothers. He's the accuser that you have to face all the time. And he knows all your sins. But what you've got to realize is that God can forgive those sins. God can use you anyway. You look around you at the people that you know the best. They've got problems just like you do. But the news is, the good news is that God uses people that aren't perfect. Even people who've done terrible things in life. God can use them. And the very fact that God uses people with all kinds of fault brings Him glory. It shows how merciful and full of love He is. He understands what you've been going through. He knows the weaknesses that you have and how easy it is to sin, how easy it is to fall for that temptation. He doesn't want you to do that. But when He gives you life in yourself from Him, He gives you the strength to overcome all those things. That's the key. That's the secret that you need to discover. When other people see God then using you, they'll have hope that God can use them too, even with all their sins, even with all their shortcomings. So you see, you're an example of how God can use imperfect people. Even imperfect people from imperfect families. And no matter what your past, no matter how often you've failed in the past, God can still use you. In fact, not only is it possible that He can use you, but in fact, He even wants to use you. He desires to use you and to do something really big in your life. Now, in the chapter we're looking at today, the Bible tells the story of a family. Each person with their own sins and their own failures. And yet from them, God did His most amazing miracles. And from them, 
He brought out individuals who were key people in his plan to save all of mankind. Let's look at Genesis chapter 27 today, and starting at verse 1. Now, I want to tell you that today I'm going to be doing something a little strange. In my notes, I did my studying in the King James Version, but you're going to be seeing the New King James Version in the verses up here. So as I go through these verses, I'll try to stay away from all the these and thous and translate it to modern, modern English as I go along. So it'll be close to what you're seeing, but it'll, it'll not be anything that's wrong. It'll just be a different way of saying things, and you'll be able to follow along in the verses in the video. So I just wanted to tell you that. Now let's look at verse 1 in chapter 27 of the book of Genesis. And I'm indebted to John Corson for much of the insight in this study. He has great commentary on the books of the Bible, and, and this chapter is one of, the, one of the key ones that he has used. It's really touched my heart. So I'm going to be passing that on to you as we go through it. And of course, you know me, I'll put in my own words as well. And I'll put in my own comments as well as we go, and there'll be plenty of that too. In fact, you know as well as I do that the, the problem when I get up here to speak is, is how to stop me. You know, but hopefully the clock, I'll look at that clock and it'll tell me to, okay, time's up, Stephen, better land this plane. But here we go. Verse 1, chapter 27 of the book of Genesis. And it came to pass that when Isaac was an old man and his eyes were dim, that he could not see. And he called Esau, his oldest son, and he said to him, my son, and his son said, here I am. Now, think about this in this first verse right here. It was probably because his half-brother, Isaac's half-brother, Ishmael, died at the age of 137 that now Isaac is thinking about his own mortality and his own death. And he's 137 years old himself. And he's aware of his own mortality because that was the age that his half-brother, Ishmael, died at. And his body is beginning to fail him. It's beginning to get old. And then he says in verse 2, he says to Esau, Behold, I'm old, and I don't know the day of my death. Well, think about this verse for a little bit. Although he was at 137 years of age, and he was an old man, he was correct in realizing he didn't know the day of his death. In fact, none of us know the day of our death. You could be 20 years old, die tomorrow, die today. God knows the days that you have on this earth. And you might walk out in front of a bus. You might have a stroke, a heart attack, some other thing. Something might happen. You might be in a store that's being robbed or something like that. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just saying that it's normal that none of us know the day that we're going to die. We know that we're going to die. And everyone who is born does die, except for those in the rapture. And that's a unique circumstance we'll be teaching about later in our studies through the Bible. But everyone knows that they're going to die someday. But some people, it really surprises them. They think that they'll die at an older age. Well, Isaac was correct. He didn't know the day of his death. But he really didn't know the day of his death because Ishmael died at 137. Here's Isaac at 137. He thought, well, maybe it's time for me to die too. So he started putting his house in order, as you'd say. He started putting his plans, making his plans to die. Little did he know 
And from the Bible, we know that he lived an additional 43 years after this. 43 years. He's just a young pup, you might say. He's in midlife. But he tells Esau now in verses 3 and 4, he says, Now, go therefore take my, your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and take some venison for me, some deer meat. Hunt for me and, and make one of these deers and bring it back and make this tasty meat that you make. You know that I love it. and Bring it back to me that I can eat of it and my soul can bless you before I die. Now, in your own mind, you probably remember as a child this story, and you probably picture Esau as being a teenager, 15, maybe 18, maybe 20 years at, old, at, at the oldest. But Esau, in fact, is 77 years old at this point, which makes the story all the more incredible, doesn't it? You say, well, 77, he's old. Well, think about this. When people live to 137, 160, and keep in mind Isaac's father, Abraham, lived to 175 or so. When people live that long, 77 is not even midlife. 77 would be, a, a if you're living to 154, you might live longer than that. But that's midlife or younger than the middle of your life. So Esau is right in the middle years of his life when Isaac says this to him. And they just lived together. That's what they did. That was the community. It was a, a barren land and foreign people all around them. And, and they were the only people like themselves and they lived together. That's just the way they did that. So different countries, different nations were ruled by different kings. And as we've said before, these different kings would have their country would actually not be a country at all, but it would be a city. Their kingdom would be a city and kings would be kings over cities, you see. And that's the way nations are today, but they're nations, if you will. Down at the lowest level, these kings were kings over cities. And all these different kings in different cities around Isaac, which were around where his father Abraham had settled and his mother Sarah had been, and now it's he and his wife Rebekah. But now they've both gone and grown older too. But he still has 43 years to go, so you be the judge, you know. I don't know. At that, at that age, should he go and buy a motorcycle and do something crazy like some of us have done? I don't know. But, you know, you're only as old as your heart feels, you know. But then sometimes you wake up in the morning and you don't want to get out of bed. And even when you get out of bed, it's harder than it used to be to get out of bed. You go down on your knees to pray. It's harder to get back up after you get down on those knees to pray early in the morning as you get older in life. Of course, I don't know that from personal experience. I've just heard people talk about it. But anyway, it says in verse 5 through 10 now in Genesis 27, And Rebekah heard that Isaac was speaking to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field and hunt to hunt for venison, deer, deer meat, and to bring it back. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son. Now, it says her son because she was partial. She liked Jacob more, but Isaac liked Esau more. And yeah, they shouldn't have liked either one of them more than the other, but that's the way it was, and that's what the Bible reported that was going on. So Rebekah spoke to her son, Jacob. 
And she said, Behold, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me some venison and make me some of that tasty meat that I can eat of it and bless you before the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, Rebekah says to Jacob, Obey my voice according to that which I'm commanding you, and you go now to the flock and fetch me from the flock two kid goats, and I will make them into the tasty meat that your father loves, and you shall bring it to your father that he will eat of it and that he will bless you instead before his death. Now, as we saw earlier, it was clear that Jacob was to be the blessed one. We know this from Genesis 25, verse 23. God had said that the older would serve the younger, and Esau was the firstborn, so he was the older. God had told Rebekah that the older is going to serve the younger. Surely Isaac knew about this too. And because Rebekah knew this, when she heard Isaac was about to bless Esau, instead and give him the blessing of the Lord instead of the one that the Lord said would be the blessed of the Lord, she sees what she can do to change the situation. Isn't it amazing? You know God's word and you're trying to go about and do God's work, but you don't know God's timing and you don't know God's method. You don't know God's ways. Rebecca was trying to help God. She knew what God was going to do eventually, but she thought, oh, well, this is important because Isaac, my husband, is about to bless Esau instead of Jacob, like the Lord said Jacob would be blessed. So I've got to come up with a plan, and I've got to do something. I've got to help God out. That's what Rebecca was thinking. Now, you might have a sincere heart, pure motives in wanting to see God's work done in the ministry or in your own family. But God's work needs to be done in God's way. Just ask Moses. Remember his story? He wanted his Israelite brothers to be set free from the tyranny of the Egyptians when he was a prince in, his, in, in Egypt. And one day he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew children, so he rescued his Hebrew brother and killed the Egyptian, thinking that he would be a hero in the eyes of his other Hebrew brothers. But because God didn't direct Moses to do this, the end result was that his own Hebrew brothers actually rejected him for killing this Egyptian. And they thought that he would kill him too. God's work has to be done in God's timing. And God's work has to be done in God's way. Don't try to help God out. Let me just put it short to you. God doesn't need your help. Look at David. He knew that the people would be blessed, the glory of God would be experienced if only the Ark of the Covenant could be brought back to Jerusalem from where it was out there, you know, away from the city. But to transport the Ark from where it was was six miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, David came up with a plan. He built a cart and he stationed a man named Uzzah, whose name means strong. He stationed him to be at the cart in front of the ark, leading the way was another man, Ahio, whose name means friendly. Talk about a great setup. Mr. Strong controlling the cart. Mr. Friendly leading the way. It seemed like a wonderful plan, didn't it? It was a wonderful way to bring in the glory of God, but you know the story. On the way back to Jerusalem, the cart hit a little hole in the road, and the ark began to wobble. 
and thinking that he had better give God a hand and help God out, Uzzah reached out to hold the ark steady. But when his hand touched it, God killed him because it was a holy thing and no one was supposed to touch the ark. And that was in the law. Well, David went away completely disheartened. He was sad. He, he was confused. He didn't know what had happened. And he, for several months, he was despairing and, and seeking God about what to do. And finally, he got back and he studied God's word. And he discovered that the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the priests and not on a cart. Carts are nothing more, nothing more than boards with big wheels. But priests are people, people who praise and people who pray. So as they're carrying the cart, they can pray and they can praise God. That's the way God intended for the cart to be carried. And that's why he said in the law that that's how the cart shall be carried. But all too often, people try to help God. All too often, people, even in churches, call board meetings and they bring in the big wheels, someone important, some person who's got all this expertise to try to make God's work happen. God doesn't need help, remember? But such is the human condition, and that's the way we think. We think that, well, we know what God wants to do, so we'll just do it for Him. God doesn't need help. God's way is to work through people instead who praise and pray. Now, as the priests carried the ark, they stopped every six steps. They built an altar and sacrificed a bull to the Lord all the way in that six-mile journey back into Jerusalem. Now, the world would say it's not very efficient to stop every six steps on a six-mile journey, especially in this age of technology. We could put it on a cart and get it there pretty quickly, get it sometime later today. That cart could roll into Jerusalem and we'd be done with it. But God is not concerned about spiritual efficiency. He's concerned about effectiveness. Efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right thing. They're not always the same thing. Human wisdom would say, oh, well, we should do this the way it's right and where people think it should be done and it's been done for all these years. But God might have instructions for you to do it differently because he wants to do a spiritual work at the same time. Efficiency is doing things in the way that man thinks is right. Effectiveness is doing the right thing. Now, why did David stop every six steps? Well, six is a number of man. It's a number of flesh. It's a reminder that Mr. Strong and Mr. Friendly can't make things spiritual. Only by stopping every six steps to sacrifice did the ark make it to Jerusalem. The other way it didn't. Only by waiting on and walking with and looking to God will His presence be evident in our lives. Now let's look at verse 11 and 12. It says in Genesis 27, verse 11 and 12, And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm, I'm a smooth man. My father will feel my skin, and I'll seem like a liar to him. I'll seem like a deceiver. Now, Jacob doesn't say, if I do this, I'll be a liar. He says, if I do this, he'll think I'm a liar. Hmm. 
Isn't that where our culture finds itself today? Reputation is what people think of. It's not important who they are. It's important what other people think they are. I see these things on Instagram. I read an article in the news today and another one last week where some, some lady who's a model would pose in front of this beautiful background. But then they did some research and they found out that background was just a big picture that had been put behind her. She wanted everyone to think that she was in some exotic island doing exotic things and she was wealthy and she could fly all around the world and be in these beautiful places. And so she had her picture taken there and she talked about being there. But then later she found out that her sister was back at the house with a camera and actually took a picture of her. And it turns out she was in her own backyard here in the United States. In her own backyard and she set up this big picture behind her to make it look like she was at a different place. All she was concerned about was what people thought of her. She didn't care about who she really was, whether she was a person of integrity or truth. She just wanted people to think highly of her. You know, character is what I know I am. And people today, like Jacob, are concerned about reputation over character. Character and integrity is who you know you really are, who you know you are and trying to be a better person. But your reputation, you can make yourself look like anybody. And certainly people in courts try to do that all the time. Bring in that guy who was accused of robbing that store and holding up and, and getting all the money and, and the jewelry from this store. And you, you come in and his lawyer and he's trying to tell you what a good kid he is and how he would never do anything like this. What are they doing? They're trying to make him a character or a reputation instead of who he really is because they think that that's what's most important. Now, how do you know what your character really is? You know what your character really is by what you do when no one is watching, when no one's around. What kind of person are you when no one's watching, when no one's around? That's the kind of person you really are. Work on that person. And all the rest, well, you'll have a good reputation from that because you've had a lot of practice when no one else was looking. And then he says in verse 15, the last part of verse 15, he says, And I will bring a curse upon myself, Jacob says, and not a blessing. If my father sees the smooth skin and he thinks I'm trying to lie to him. And his mother said to Jacob, Upon me your curse will be, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get the goats, kid goats, like I said. And so he went and he fetched them and he brought them into his mother. And his mother made that tasty meat like Isaac, like Isaac uh, loved. And Rebecca took good uh, clothing from her eldest son's room there. And she, uh, it was in the house with her and she put them on Jacob, her younger son. As an outdoorsman, Esau had a certain smell about him, the smell of the field, the smell of the tree leaves, the smell of the outdoors and was on his clothes and his coat and everything. And then Rebecca realized this, so she took some of Esau's garments on Jacob and put them on Jacob. Now, she's being deceptive. She's lying. 
And God doesn't like either one of those. He hates deception of any kind. He hates lies. But here Rebecca is thinking that she's doing God's work and she's actually going against God. And she won't even be successful in doing God's work for him. But she'll lie and be deceptive along the way. Verse 16 and 17 then continues. And she put the skins of the goat kids upon, her, upon uh, Jacob's hands and on the smooth part of the back of his neck. And she gave the tasty meat and the bread which she had prepared and cooked and she gave it to Jacob. You see, Rebecca is smart, but she's not being honest. She's not yeshar. Remember I said last week or the week before that in Hebrew, honest is yeshar, and it means straight ahead. You could say yamina to the right. You could say smola to the left. But if you say that you want someone to go straight ahead, you go yeshar, 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 straight ahead. Just keep going straight. It's the same word that we use in Hebrew for honest, straight ahead, straightforward. You're not taking your story to the left or to the right. You're going straight ahead. You're looking to the horizon. You're going where you need to go. You're being honest. You're being a man of integrity. You're being a woman of honesty. You're yeshar. That's what honesty is. So Rebecca is smart, though, but she's not doing righteousness. She's doing evil. She takes the skins of the goat. She straps them around Jacob's arms, puts them on the neck of her son so that if Isaac reaches up and feels the skin, he'll feel like Esau. Because remember Esau, it said in Genesis, uh, earlier in Genesis, Esau was born a hairy man. He had all this thick hair all over his body, but Jacob was smooth. They were born at the same time. But they didn't look alike, you see. Now in verse 18 through 23, we read that Jacob came into his father and said, My father, and his father said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Now keep in mind, Isaac couldn't see. His eyes were failing him. He couldn't see. Jacob is over at a distance. He said, My father, and, and Isaac hears this. He says, Oh, come on in. Who are you, my son? Because he knows it's one of the two, either Esau or Jacob. And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done like you told me to do. Arise and eat of what I prepared for you so that your soul will bless me. And Isaac said to his son, how is it that you've found the meat so quickly in your hunting, my son? And he said, uh, because the Lord your God brought it to me. That's what Jacob said. You see how he's even involving God in his lies. All of this to get the blessing of God. He's lying about God. He's lying to his father to get the blessing of God. Is there anything that strikes you as a little strange in that? I mean, if they believe in God, don't they know that God is watching this and that he's not going to let it work for them? But he says, the Lord God brought me the deer early. He brought me the meat early. And Isaac said to Jacob, he said, well, come here, come near and so that I can feel you, my son, to see whether you really are Esau or not. And so Jacob came near to Isaac, his father, and Isaac felt him. And the voice, he said, well, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are definitely the hands of Esau. Remember, they had put the skin, the hairy skin of the goat on, on uh, Jacob's hands and on the back of his neck. The rest of his body was covered up by clothes. 
So Isaac then says, come near me. And he felt and he said, well, the voice sounds like Jacob's voice, but the hands feel like the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not. In other words, he didn't know. He was fooled. He thought it was Esau because his hands were hairy, just like Esau's hands are. And so he blessed him. The lie seemed like it worked. Although Jacob didn't sound like Esau, he smelled like Esau, and he felt like he had hairy skin like Esau. Therefore, Isaac thought, it must be Esau. He was trusting his senses instead of what he heard from his words. When you make decisions based on what you feel, or what you smell, or what you see, rather than what you hear in the Word of God, you will be deceived. If an experience or a trend or a phenomena isn't seen in the New Testament record of the life of Jesus and His church, it might be barking, rolling in the floor that some people in religious practice do, holy laughing they call it, or shouting, or falling down, or hanging from the ceiling, whatever it is, and they call it the Holy Spirit, it's not in the Word, it's not God. Your emotions can fool you. Don't be tricked to following your emotions and your senses and fall for what you feel, what you smell, or what you see. But rather let the Word of God give you what is true and accurate and go by what it says instead. Then you won't be choosing the wrong person. Then you won't fall for Satan when he brings his lies to you. You won't be deceived like Isaac was. If we choose to follow our senses rather than the Word, you'll be deceived. But if you choose instead to follow God's Word, you'll be safe. You'll be in the will of God, in the Word of God. And he says then in verse 24 and 25, and he said, this is Isaac speaking, then he said, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob said, I am. Jacob said this, I am. Outright lying to his father. And he said, well, bring it near me. Bring the food near to me is what Isaac says to Jacob now thinking it's Esau. And I'll eat of my son's deer, the venison meat, that my soul may bless you. That's the way the Jewish culture is. I want you to know. Christians pray before the food and they ask the Lord to bless it. And we have some Jewish prayers also that, uh, that we pray before the, uh, the food, but the real blessing is after the food because then it has blessed our soul, it has blessed our stomach, it's blessed our taste buds, and now we can tell the Lord how much we enjoyed it and thank Him for it and let that be the blessing. It was the same way with Esau and with Isaac and Jacob and their family. He said, are you my son Esau? He said, I am. Then he said, bring me the food and I'll eat of it so that my soul will bless you. Now a key component of Hebrew life, the blessing was to be pronounced by the patriarch or the father of the family upon the oldest son. We've already covered that. It's a declaration, this blessing is, toward the end of the father's life. It's a declaration of one, of who one is. He's going to be talking to the son and he's going to tell him who you are, my son. This is who you are. This is who I've seen you be. This is who you've become as a young man now. 
It's a revelation also of where that son is headed. And so the Orthodox Jewish fathers understand the significance of the blessing as they bestow it on the son to this day. And they not only reaffirm who they are and who they are as, as a person and who I've seen you grow up to be, but then they start telling them, this is who you're going to be. This is what you're going to do. This is how God is going to bless you. This is what you're going to be like later in life. That's the part of the Jewish blessing. First, to acknowledge who they are. Second, to acknowledge who they're going to be. And we see the four elements of the Jewish blessing are really here in this blessing. And we'll cover the rest in a little bit. So in verse 25 and 26, it says, So Jacob brought the food near to him, and Isa, Yitzchak, did eat the food. And then he brought him wine, and he drank the wine. And his father, Yitzchak, said to him, Come now near me and kiss me, my son. He's still a little unsure before he gives up this blessing that is going to really, truly bless the firstborn, these aren't words, just simple words. These are things that are going to happen. It's done before God. It's done by the patriarch. And every time you see a patriarch in the Tanakh, in the Torah, giving this blessing to the sons, you find out that this is, in fact, what happened later in their life. So first, the blessing, the blessing involves a tender, meaningful touch. It's a physical contact between the father and his son. It's a pure tender touch upon the son. And it's important because Jesus didn't call out a blanket blessing, just a generalized blessing to the children who were brought to him. He tenderly held them and held them in his arms and then blessed them as he did. He didn't just say, oh, be blessed from a distance. He, he wanted to show them that he loved them. Now, we're not talking about anything wrong or fishy or strange or evil here. We're talking about true sincerity. Politicians take babies and kiss the babies. and There's no, no ill will meant on there. I'm sure they probably don't want to kiss all the babies that they kiss. And I don't know if you've seen some of those babies, that mom's handing that little baby over to the politician, this guy running for president or running for senate or running for the Knesset or something. And here's this baby and she doesn't see that this baby's got drool all over his face. And the baby's just drooled out of his mouth and taken his hands and it's wiped all over his face. And now she's giving the baby to the politician. The politician wants her vote and he goes, oh, Thank you. And he's taking that baby and he goes, you're so cute. Yeah, you are. You're so cute. And then he goes around maybe on the other side of the baby's face. And here's the mother here. Here's the baby. And here's the politician. Takes the baby up here and goes like that. He never touches the baby, but she thinks he kissed the baby. Smart guy. You don't want to kiss that drool face. Don't kiss drool faces. That's gross. How did we get to here? I don't know. But anyway, as we go on to verse 27, it says, And Jacob came near his father, Yitzchak, and he kissed him. And when he did, Yitzchak smelled the smell of the clothing, the coat, the raiment that his son Esau owned. And then he blessed his son. He said, See, ah, now that's the smell of my son, the smell of an open field that the Lord is blessed. So secondly, the blessing includes a spoken message of value or a valuable evaluation. He said to him, thinking it's his oldest son, he said, you have the 
fragrance of a field. You're an outdoorsman. He's saying who you are, Esau. He's saying what you've done. You're an outdoorsman, a successful outdoorsman. You go out and you hunt. You're a successful hunter. You bring the food back that our family may eat. Basically, he's saying this. I can smell the field on your clothing. That's part of the blessing, you see. Those aren't just idle words. It's part of the Hebrew blessing. He's saying, this is what I see in you, Isaac was saying as he affirmed who he thought was Esau's strength through that spoken blessing. Now, many kids never hear their parents praise them. They never hear their parents say anything good about them. Their parents never see, never say anything like, this is what I see in you. This is how I see God made you. This is what I see God doing in your life. No, instead, they, they just, yeah, parents just go, yeah, did you make up your bed today? Did you do this? You're supposed to clean that up. I've got to get to work now. So you get out there in the car and where's this tender touch that the early Hebrew parents had? And even today in Israel, where's the tender touch for your children? Do you take time? I'm not talking just quality time. I am talking quantity time. Do you take real time? to be with your children, to spend time with them, even if you don't know what to do. Can you put that phone down for a little while? Can't tell you how many times I've been in a restaurant, a mother brings in her little two-year-old, three-year-old child, two-year-old sits on this side of the table, mother sits over here, mother picks out her phone and starts texting on it. I've seen her sit there for 45 minutes doing Facebook or whatever it is on her phone, and the little child is just looking around no one says a word to the little child. One time the little child said something, the little mother said, you know, don't, no, I'm, I'm busy right now. That's so sad. God's not that way. God's got time for you. Someone had time for you, and if they didn't make time for you, let it change with your life. Change that, turn it around, so that from now on in your family, they will know what it's like when a parent spends time with the kids. Those kids will grow up saying, my mother spent time with me. My father spent time with me. Yeah, they were busy when they were busy, but they always, no matter how busy they were, they always made time for me. This is what Isaac is doing now with who he thinks is Esau. It's really Jacob, but he thinks it's Esau. And he's saying, this is what I've seen God do in your life. This is what I've seen God do and where God has taken you now. You smell like the open field. You're the outdoorsman. And he was just heaping praises on his son, you see. He's speaking a word of evaluation for the child to hear. And that heals so many of the hurts. He can hear a word of correction from you. But let him also hear a word of encouragement equally as often, if not more often. Now, verse 28 and 29, it continues in. It says, Therefore God give you, Isaac is continuing his blessing of Esau, Therefore God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine and let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be the Lord or the ruler over your brothers and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed is everyone who curses you, and blessed is everyone who blesses you. Now, this is interesting because Isaac knows that Jacob was supposed to be the one that is truly blessed, and that Esau, 
would be serving him instead. This was the word of God to Rebekah when the children were still in her womb. And Isaac knows this, but now he's trying to get around, it seems like he's trying to get around God's word of blessing and bless Esau instead because he likes Esau better because he likes Esau's food that he prepares. That's the carnal flesh speaking. It's not the heart of God. It's not the spirit who is trying to do what God wants. He's trying to do the opposite of what God wants. He thinks he's blessing Esau when God said the blessing will go to Jacob. The third part of the blessing gives a word about a destination. It tells where our kids, where our grandchildren are going, that they need to hear what we see in them presently, but also what we see for them on up ahead and what we see for them eventually. Here again, the Orthodox Jewish families understand this concept so well and they exercise it in society. I wish we would do that in our society here. But when you go into an Orthodox home, the parents will say, here's Joey. They're introducing their children and go, this is Joey. He's a doctor. Oh, this is Benny. He's a lawyer. And this is Joey and Benny are only four and five years old. But what they're doing is they're giving their kids a special future. They're speaking a blessing about what these kids are going to become. And many times the kids take that to themselves and they go, yeah, I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor, of course. I've been told that all my life. And so it's obvious that I'm going to train to be a doctor or a lawyer when I grow older. And they do and they become a doctor or a lawyer. That's just the way the Jewish family works. And it's all for the benefit of the kids, not for the parents. They grow up becoming what their parents bless them to be. But the parents take the time to talk about where the kids, where those children are going. What do you see your son? What do you see your daughter becoming? Dad, let them know. What do you see that daughter, that son becoming? Mom, let them know. Take the time to speak hope into their lives. Speak a future into their lives. Speak a blessing of God into their lives. Show them that you are impressed with who they were, with who they are now, and with what God is going to do with them in the future, and that you are so impressed with them. Take the time, not quality time, quantity time. Say it often. Say it long. Mean it. Say it. Mean it and encourage your children, moms and dads. Then it says, as we close out in verse 30, 33, it says, and it came to pass as soon as Isaac had finished the blessing, the blessing of Jacob, Jacob was gone out of the room as soon as he did. And from the presence of Isaac, his father, and then Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. No sooner had Jacob left the, left the meeting with his father than Esau comes in from his hunting. And he also had that tasty meat and he brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat your son's venison I, that my soul, that your soul may bless me. I see Esau so proud. This is the day. This is the day where the oldest is going to get his blessing. And keep in mind that the birthright promised, you know, uh, half again as much uh, uh, blessing uh, inheritance as the other children in the family, as the other son. But then when he said this, he said, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison that, the soul, that your soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said to him, Who are you? Remember, he couldn't see. And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. 
And Isaac started shaking, greatly and shaking. He said, who? Where is the one that just gave me venison and brought it to me and I've eaten all of it before you came and I blessed him and indeed it was before the Lord and he will be blessed now. Now they realize that they were deceived. Realizing that God will ultimately have his way and that his plans to circumvent the plan of God, to go around the intent of God to bless Jacob instead, Esau wasn't blessed, but Jacob was. Jacob in his dishonesty, and that's not good, that was evil, that was wrong, he was a liar and a deceiver, make no mistake about that, but yet God used that to tell Isaac, I'm going, to I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. I said I'm going to bless Jacob and that Esau is going to serve him. You were trying to make it the opposite to where Jacob would serve Esau. But even though Jacob came in and lied to you, you blessed Jacob instead and that's what I was really going to do anyway. I was going to bless Jacob instead. So now as we look at this story, we can see what's going on, right? whole lot of lies and deceptions. Sounds like society today. Maybe it sounds like your family. I hope not. But these people are even doing, uh, doing all of this as they're talking about blessing before God and the blessing of the Lord upon their sons. And they're lying before God. They're deceiving before God. They're doing the opposite of what God wanted to do. And, and they're saying it's the blessing of God. How do you expect God to bless something like that? These people are even doing all of this, knowing that they're doing it in front of God. I guess they think that He's just not going to do anything, that they're going to get away with it. But the Scripture says that God hates deception of any kind. He's not going to let that pass. No matter what you hope to accomplish, in the end, if it's based on lies and deception, it doesn't honor God. It doesn't honor God. Now let's look at these biblical people in this family. Let's talk about Esau first of all. We know from the last chapter Esau came in hungry one day and he had his birthright which is a very, very big thing in the family. It was a very important thing to where at the, at the end, of the, you know, at the inheritance you get all this much more than your next oldest uh, brother would get and everything from the inheritance plus all this blessing about the Lord and everything. But Esau was hungry and he was acting like an animal. He said, well, what good is this birthright thing doing me if I die? Give me some soup and I'll sell you my birthright. So that's what he did. That's Esau. That's brother number one. Brother number two we'll talk about in a little bit, but Isaac, the father, God had said Jacob would be blessed above Esau, and yet Isaac tried to make it happen to where Esau would be the blessed one instead, working against God. That's the father. Trying to bless, trying to give the blessing of God to a son in the presence of God, actually doing the opposite of what God told him to do. That's the father. Dysfunctional family, right? Esau sells his birthright. Isaac knowingly disobeys God and tries to bless the older instead of the younger, like God had wanted to do. Then there's Rebecca, the wife, Isaac's wife. And she came up with a whole plan based on deception, based on lies, trying to do God's work for him instead of waiting on God to act. Does that ring a bell? 
You ever done that? Tried to do God's work for Him because you feel that time is just getting too close? It's, you're running out of time. It's the last minute. You better do something. You better do it quick so you know that God is going to do something. Maybe He's spoken to you about what He's going to do. And obviously you just figure, well, the time's got to be now because I think it's got to be now because it can't be any other time because, I mean, from my perspective, what I see is a fairly smart human being. It looks like this is a time to act, so I'm going to do something to help God along. Your last minute is not God's last minute. God knows the future. You wait on the Lord, the Bible says, and you'll renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings as eagles. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. But it doesn't say anything like that in a blessing for you if you try to go ahead of God and try to do God's work for Him and you don't wait on God. It's better to wait on God. So we've talked about Esau, talked about Isaac, talked about Rebekah. Well, surely Jacob is the blessed one on all of this because God blessed him saying that he would be served by his older brother Esau eventually. And you know, just like Adam following Eve's suggestion to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jacob could have stood firm when his mother asked him to lie to his father. But he was more concerned about getting his father's blessing, so he became part of the lie. He accepted the role, and he became part of the lie. In fact, he was the star actor in the whole plot. He was more concerned about getting caught by his father than the fact that he was lying to his father. Remember when he told his mother, well, what if my father sees me, feels my smooth skin, and he sees that I'm lying to him? What if I get caught? What if my reputation is messed up, mother? And she says, you know, don't worry about it. I've thought it out. We're going to put this goat skin. You're going to have some hair on the back of your neck and on your hands, and your father's can't see. So he's going to know that he's going to think this is Esau because you're going to wear Esau's clothing, his coat and everything. And so Jacob goes, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. He wasn't concerned about lying to his father. He was concerned about getting caught. That's the way so many people are today. I read a survey not too long ago where it said that something like 65% of the current generation coming through high school and college thought that lying was okay. If it was on your resume, you could lie about how much experience it had. If it was on some other documentation and papers, it was okay to lie. 65% of the kids being raised today think it's okay to lie. They're not concerned about truth. They're concerned about what other people think about them and about getting what they want in life. Sad. Very sad. Now here's what I'm saying. This is more than just a simple story. There's a message in this chapter. And that message is that God can still use people that are not perfect. People who have sinned. Later on in the Bible, we're going to see how each of these people being spoken of, spoken highly of, is people God who used, we're going to see what God did with them, noble and great and mighty things. They're going to go through changes in their heart as they go through life. Yeah, Esau, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob. They're going to change in their hearts. And many of the times when God must soften a person up to humble them somewhat before he uses them, he will not tolerate pride and he will not tolerate lies and deception. But he says in the Tanakh, in Micah, Micha, 6, verse 8, 
He says, what does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? You see, my point today is that God can use you even with all your failures, with all your sins. He'll forgive those sins. He'll work with you as the potter works with the clay, turning it into something useful, something beautiful. God can use you. God's not waiting for perfect people to come along so He can use them. He gets glory by taking people like you, people who are not perfect, and fixing what's broken. He forgives their sins, and then He molds them into a new life. He gives them a new heart and a new calling in life. He molds them into someone He can use and do great and mighty things in their lives. And to Him be the glory forever and ever for His patience for His care, for His great love for us. If you let God direct your life, He'll pull you up out of that mud and make everything in your life new. Amen. Now, why don't you give your life to the Lord today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry. And He'll answer you and He'll rescue you from the darkness that you're in. And He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures away. You can drive away from those. Never have to look back at them. You'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's guaranteed by God Himself. I want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Lord and Messiah today. To receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven like we're talking about by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can even repeat after me if you'd like, and God will hear it. Just say, God, I do want to know You and have real peace in life. I do believe on Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to You. Thank You, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, just like seeds work, you won't see anything at first, but over time, you'll see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.